Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. We have been on a theme. Um, we'll take about 25 minutes or so. We finish at a quarter to one. So uh, about 25 minutes or so and talk to you just in case you thought there was a mess this morning. This is one of my props. So just in case you're wondering what the mop bucket's doing on the stage, but um, you'll, you'll find out later on. We've been on this theme called Following Jesus in All of Life, and just for our visitors, where it came from was we um, decided uh, back about three months ago, or maybe a little bit more, around the whole area of discipleship, we thought, we, we started to ask our own staff and our elders, what is discipleship? And everybody was coming up with a different thing, really. All right, the things were all right, but we... We felt nobody had really defined what a disciple was. And so we thought, well, a simple definition of a disciple is somebody that follows Jesus in all of their lives, or in their marriage, in their finances, in their workplace, in their school, in their universities. Someone who did that was what a true disciple would be. And so hence we went on this journey of um, teaching what it meant to be a true disciple. We spent, lo, Dave and I have sort of... Um, spent the last three months, really, talking through this subject, and most of it has been around what needs to happen inside of us to become a true disciple, what actually needs to change, the things that that we need to deal with in ourselves, because we all, none of us, we're all a work in progress, and none of us have made it yet. But last week, what I did was I tried to flip the, the thing on its head a little bit, and then, and turn it outward. And so last week, what we did is we talked about three basic principles about how to actually help others become a disciple, rather than just all about us, that how you could help someone else to become a disciple. And so we shared three simple areas, or three simple ways in in looking at the New Testament, how Jesus shared his faith with other people. You can grab that off our podcast or off our live stream archive. And so, and this week, What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you a little bit about spheres of influence, how and where you can do that. I had a friend who um, many, many years ago lost his leg in an accident, and he lost his leg, not, not, he lost his leg right up, the machine took his leg right up, so he had no stump really to put an artificial leg on, and now when you can do artificial legs, you can, can walk almost without a limp. He had no, he had no stump or anything for a swing. Um, and so he, he, the, the leg that they give him, he could walk quite well, but he walked with a limp, and he, he couldn't really, he, he could bend his knee a little bit, but he had this sort of very prominent limp. And he would walk with a stick. Uh, initially, when they give him this leg, he would walk like this here with his leg. His kids were really, really small, and his little son was probably something like one of the babies. And as his, kid, as his little boy especially began to grow, he said to me one day, Phil, he said, funny thing is, he said, my little boy has just started to walk. And he says, he's walking with a limb. <laughs> he says, he's walking around the house like this here. And obviously, they do a little bit of teaching and training in that. But the thing was, he was modeling what was close to him. He was modeling what his dad would do. And so instead of leaping, he was limping. Instead of this little boy leaping, he was limping. My fear is for the church today, my fear is that the church has had so many disabled models um, that 
That the, the church has become a limping church instead of a, a leaping church because we picked up so many disabilities from models that are askew. And so what I'm trying to do this morning is turn your eyes back to the true model um, of our faith. All right? So, because it's the master plan of the gospel. And so the key verse is this verse on screen. It's 2 Timothy, um, uh, 2 Timothy 2. And in this verse, in this powerful verse, um, Timothy, Paul is actually writing to his son in the faith. Timothy got saved, um, got born again, accepted Jesus into his heart on Paul's first missionary journey. And so he became a, a, a pastor in the church in Ephesus. And, and so Paul writes to him as a son in the faith, and he encourages him to use his gift. He encourages him to tell other people. He said, what I've told you, Timothy, all that I've taught you, he said, now you should teach to other reliable people as well, and in turn, teach them to teach other people. You can see the process. So he says, we've got something to talk about. And he said, you need to tell other people about it. And so as true disciples, that's what we're going to do. Last week, we looked at the idea of the population. We put the population clock up on the screen, and we saw that there's just over 7.7 billion people alive on planet Earth today, grown massively from 1900, about one and a half billion or 1.4 billion, and now um, in, in little over 100 years, you've this massive, massive growth of the church. And so um, it's growing in around about 1.07% per year, and the current average population increase, that's with people being born and people dying, the average increase when you do the, the Mazar is 82 million people per year in around give or take one or two. 82 million. Now, if you're a good mathematician, I'm not, so I use the calculator. Um, you will find out that that's just short of 7 million people per month, all right? About one and a half million people per week and about a quarter of a million people per day. So the, the world is growing at this moment in time while we sit here and talk. The world is growing by about a quarter of a million people per day. It's incredible, isn't it? So just, just to let you know, you have loads of scope, all right? A quarter of a million people per day are being added to the world. So with all of these facts, where my mind began to race when I read these facts and Googled these facts, I began to think, where in the world does one begin? Where, like, what is the priority? Who is this message for? And of course, we know this key verse from John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave. So for God so loved the world, I drew this in the first service because um, I, I, if you grew up in construction or in a farm, we call it a tundish. Some the proper name's a funnel. But um, and, and in, the, in the tundish thing, what I said was you have got the whole gospel right in this verse. For God so loved the world, you've got sovereignty. So the Calvinists would love this. <laughs> for God so loved the world, he loves everybody, all right? And then for the Arminius, he loved this. The human responsibility comes in here in the middle of the verse, that whosoever. So God loves everybody, he loves the whole world. And then whosoever believes in him. So it's all about God's sovereignty, and it's all about man's responsibility. We have a responsibility to respond to the gospel. So people say, well, is it not right that God chose us before the foundation of the world according to Ephesians 1.4? Yes, that's right. But if you don't choose his choice, it's like me offering you a gift and you never receiving it, you'll, you never own the gift. 
And so there is a responsibility on us. And so this is the idea of this great verse. So, and we know that growth happens, and it's important. Growth happens by addition, but uh, adding one unit to another. But actually, living cells multiply. And when a new cell is produced, it always has the ability to reproduce. And the problem when it comes to the church is that when God adds, Satan subtracts. But when God multiplies, Satan divides. And I see so much division in the church today. People fight over all different things. And so it's really important that we understand the process of we have a message to tell. Nigel Savage texted me this morning. The boys were up at the Northwest with the Jesus bus, and 12 people came to faith over the, over the weekend at the Northwest as the motorbikes were going by. 12 people give their life to Jesus. Come on, give them a round of applause. That's pretty good. 12 people. And... Um, how did it happen? It happened because a bunch of guys got on a bus, drove to the north coast, spent two or three days telling people about Jesus, telling people about the hope of the world, Jesus, the hope of the world. And so what I wanted to do this morning is sort of stir you to think about where you could do that. All of us have got an existing network, and um, we have loads of people that we know, and the passage that I put up for this is John 1, not to read it all, but basically, let me tell you what happened. Andrew finds out about Jesus. He goes and he tells his brother Peter. Philip finds out about Jesus, and he goes and tells Nathaniel. <laughs> Just Now, Peter, Andrew's a fisherman, and what he did was he, he probably didn't invite Peter out to McDonald's for breakfast, although that would have been a good idea, but he probably just told him at work. He probably climbed into the boat the next morning, and his first thing is they're pulling their nets in to go fishing. He says, we had to tell you, Peter, what happened yesterday. I met this guy, and I, I, I think he's the Messiah. I think he's the one we've been looking for. Simple. And, and basically, what I'd love you to think about is who you could tell, who, who in your sphere of influence, if you have, because we all have them in your, 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 your community, your work, your hobbies, your your, where you eat, your, your favorite restaurant or coffee shop, your, don't know what that is, um, uh, something, your shop, where you shop, I'll find it out in a minute or two, I did that a few hours ago, but um, wherever, all of these places that you could, you could actually start to think, I could actually tell people about my faith, I could actually, and I hope you're living it out, but as you live it out, why not begin to speak it out, hey, you know what, I, I just like Andre, I found something I just think it's a real deal. I found something that's convicted me of my sin and changed my life forever, and I just think it, it, it's the real deal. So, so we've, got, we've got this vast existing network of friends, and then we've got this thing called a family. You know, the Bible talks more about the institution of family than any other institution. It's always talking about family, 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 family. And well, surely we all love our families. And I know you, you, people say you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. And that's probably right. And we have an odd Barney as families and all of that. But if you don't love your family, you, you need to get help, all right? If you don't love your family, you need to work through some of the things that I'm not saying that maybe haven't done what's right by you or something, but we, we love our families. And so we've got family members, and the Bible's full of references. Here's Rahab, who was a prostitute, and when Israel was coming to take over um, Jericho, she made a deal, she cut a deal with the spies, and she didn't cut it just for herself. She says, I want you to show kindness to my family as well. She says, cut me a deal 
but cut me a deal for my family. Joshua, in Joshua 24, stands up and he makes a statement about people going astray. You can choose what you want to do, but he says, as for me and my family, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to serve the Lord. Something about, something about standing for your family. This wee man, because that's what he was, the Bible tells us that's the case, a little small man, Jesus enters his life, and he says, today, salvation's come to your family. Something's going to happen in your house. And as we prayed for these babies this morning, these are babies that something has happened in their home. And the Bible's full of this. These are just a few that I picked. All of these references in the New Testament are places where someone found Jesus and their whole household changed. Their whole home began to change. Every single one of them, it says their home, their household. Philippian jailer got saved and his whole house the same. Something. There are fathers and mothers in this room. There are grannies and grandas in this room who are in this room because someone in your network years ago said yes to Jesus. I stand here because my great-grandfather, who I never met, his name was George, planted a little brethren assembly in the south shores of Loch Ney. I never met him. He was dead long before I was born. But I used to love to go to my granda, who lived almost 100, and I used to love to go to my granda and get my granda to tell me stories of his dad. There was something about the risk that he took. There was something about his passion for Jesus. Everybody who ever talked about him, I used to eat, eat and drink this when I was a little boy. And, and, and I'm only here because Someone like him said yes to Jesus. And there's an old saying that if you don't go to church, your kids, prop, your kids mightn't go to church, but your grandkids definitely won't go to church. And we've got something to hand down. We have a, we have a heritage that's hand down. And so it's really important that we understand the power of family. Something happens when we, when we, when we do something and, and ask Jesus into our lives and teach it to our kids. So that's family. The third little group I'd like to talk to you about is the unreached people. Now, this could be across the sea, and it could be across the street. Um, a few months ago, a couple of months ago, we did a prayer night, a prayer walk in church, and what we do in our prayer walk is we prayer walk the community. And I came down, it looked, it looked warmer than it was, and I arrived here to go in the prayer walk where we were pairing up and teaming up with people, and I, I had no coat, and it was only, well, it was sunny outside, it was freezing, and I thought, I am going to be foundered. So I ran home, I lived close by, I, I scooted home in the car, and uh, by the time I got back with my coat, everybody had gone. Uh, uh, thank you, thank you. It was, it was worse than that, I had to go see links, but... Um, uh, they, they, so I, I thought, I'll go catch something. And I thought, no, no, I'll go pray. And I went down into this little estate down below us, Castle Muse, and I began to pray around the estate, and God began to break my heart. God began to break my heart for our neighbors, and I began to think, who is my neighbor? That's what the Bible says. And I began to think, if these people, if we knocked their door and said, who is your neighbor, would they mention us? And so Dixie and Jody went down a couple of weeks ago, a couple of, or a week ago, and started knocking the doors, and the responses were, were great, but a couple of the responses were, oh, right, I saw all the cars up there, but didn't know what it was. Oh, yes, I've got a baby. I didn't realize it did cots and tots. And three, four hundred yards down our street. So there's something about unreached people groups. They reckon there's a, 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 an unreached people group. It's a significantly large group of people that have a common bond, one to another, and that bond might be language or culture or geographical location or whatever it is, and they reckon there's around 19,000 of them in the world. 
and some with as, 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 as few as maybe 3,000 people, but some like India that have 157 million, <laughs> like Pakistan that has 134 million. That's incredible, some of these things. Indonesia with 30 million people in Africa alone, they tell me there's thousand, over 1,000 dialects in hundreds of different people groups. And I love what Paul said when he writes in Romans 15, 20. This is what he said. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. He says, so that I would not be building upon someone else's foundation. The problem is today, we, we, there, there, there's, there's so much choice, and choice kills commitment. We know that. And so, well, we, we well, 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 don't really like this anymore. I'll go here. I don't really like this anymore, so I'll go here. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about reaching the lost. He's talking about reaching into the environments where nobody has gone before. One of the reasons we wanted to plant a church here was right on the, on the divide. You know that the Castle Lane is known as a neutral zone by the local council. And when we went to plant in Portadown, we got all kinds of offers of buildings in the town, but we knew that God had called us to somewhere that was uncontested and uncontended, not to build on another person's foundation. And so this is really important that we understand this. And so the big question that abides in, in all of this is, how are we going to do that? How are we going to actually do that? Because th this idea is that, that we're called to every tribe and every nation, and, 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 and this is who Jesus died for, so we need to understand this. So how are we going to do it? Well, really quickly, we're going to, first thing we're going to do, we're going to pray. We're doing that on Wednesday night. We need to pray. And here's the verse. The verse um, that, that, that I'm giving you is this, this idea that, that you will the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And the authorized version says, pray ye. The NIV puts it, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. There's something that we need to do because, you see, while the, while the church today invites, the early church invaded. It invaded. Remember, the gospel is offensive. We'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, these people in the early church took the Great Commission really seriously. And then for those of you who have been about a while, will remember last year we talked about this, just to run through it really quickly. Who, who, we, we make it a priority. All right, so it's not just, in, in the early church, evangelism wasn't just one of the many activities. It was the main priority. And they did this, they, they did it, everyone did it. Everyone got involved. Here, here, here's the verse, Acts 1.8. It says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You, all of us. It's for everyone. Uh, so who did it? Everyone did it. Where did, or when did they do it? They did it every single day. Every day. They went house to house, temple courts. They never stopped. I love that little phrase. They never stopped teaching and claiming the good news. So everyone did it every day. And where did they do it? They did it everywhere. Tells us here they preached everywhere. <laughs> I love this. The fact that we can preach this gospel everywhere we go is so, so important. Now, here's the idea. One of the things that, that has caught me of late is this idea that um, we allow this gospel to penetrate our souls. And, and we allow the Holy Spirit to direct us. This is a powerful passage here. And it tells us that the Apostle Paul, when he was going to Asia, was actually kept from going by the Holy Spirit. 
I tend to think that whenever I get stopped doing something for God, it is the devil. But Paul had such a relationship with God, he knew and sensed it was the Holy Spirit. And then in a dream, he had this dream of a Macedonian man beckoning him like this here, saying, how about coming over here and helping us? Now, if you look at Macedonia in your map, you'll find that it's right down in the southeast corner of Europe. So we're here today because Paul got a Macedonian call here in Acts chapter 16. And he brought the gospel to Europe that opened it up to you and I. So, so we, need to, we need to understand it's Holy Spirit directed. We need to do and go where the Holy Spirit guides us to go. And of course, we need a plan. You say, well, Phil, what's the plan? Well, it's in two verses, we get the whole plan of the gospel. Let me, let me walk you through this really, really quickly. Six simple steps. Here it is. Preach the gospel to the poor. There's a call to the poor. Always has been. All right, preach to the poor, heal the brokenhearted. Look for the people who are in deaths, as Dave talked about this at the start. Proclaim liberty to the captives, people who are held captive by addiction and by different things, that we proclaim liberty to them, that we, that we look after them, that we go after this, that we recover the sight of the blind. Two, um, two, 1 Corinthians 4.4 4 puts it this way. It says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the of the people so that they mightn't see the gospel, the glorious gospel, the light of it wouldn't shine into their souls. We need to remove those blindfolds. We need to let people see that there is hope. We need to let people see that there is Jesus. We need to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and we need to tell them they can do it right now. We can tell them this is the acceptable year of the Lord. Right there, you have the whole thing about the six-point plan of salvation. Now, um, let me, let me draw to conclusion uh, in the next few minutes by, by telling you this story. You're under my power. Sorry. Um, sorry, that was awful, wasn't it? Um, right. Um, about six months ago, a lady who doesn't come to this church actually gave me this prophetically. She came up to me after a church service, and she said, she put this in my hand like this, and she said, Phil, God told me to give you this. And I thought, I need one. It was actually one that my stairs is broke. But, um, but she gave it to me as a prophetic thing. And I, she, I said, what does it mean? And she says, I don't know. But God told me to do it. And she says, I'm just being obedient. So I took it home and sat it on my desk. And as a plug, just in case, or a stopper <laughs> um, for a sink. And uh, I sat on my desk, forgot about it. And then a couple of weeks later, I was studying, saw it, and I thought, okay, God, what, what could this mean? Do I need to pull the plug on something? Do I need to pull the put the plug in. What, what are you trying to say to me? What? And, and I, 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 I read this story, this interesting story about a, a mental institution and what they would do with some of their clients when it came to time for release. They would put them into a, they would put them into a wet room and they would, they, would turn the, they would turn the taps on and they would put the plug in the sink. They would turn the tap on and they'd give them a mop and a bucket like this here. And a uh, bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> and so what they would do is uh, they would watch to see how the client would work. And if they just continually mopped and mopped the, 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 the water up, they, they would know they're, they're still not thinking right. They need a bit more work to do in the brain power because, you see, the whole time, all they would need to do is pull the plug out, <laughs> turn the taps off, Pull the plug out. And I became, it, it caught me that, that we get into mopping ministry. 
Mercy ministries are a powerful thing. And hear me in this. I love our church. I love that our church has developed a mercy ministry. And I would never be part of a church that doesn't have a mercy ministry. But if we just get drawn to mercy ministry all the time and our eyes get onto the floor and the mopping, we miss the injustice of why it's happening. And the devil will keep us mopping all the time because we just mop, 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 clean up, clean up, clean up all the time. And he'll, he'll lift our focus off the actual root of the problem. I, I, I read a story some time ago about a, a man who was, um, was on the shore and he saw a, a, somebody struggling in the, in, in the water and he pulled his coat off and he swam out and he pulled this guy to shore and he gets him to shore and just as he pulls him to shore he sees another one. So he runs back into the water and he, and he pulls this second guy out and he's getting him out and he sees another and he runs back in and of course he's exhausted by this stage and he pulls this third one out and there's another and he goes, for dear sex, when somebody go up the beach and see where they're going in? Somebody just go up because if they're in there, somebody's putting them in. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We, we know that we can keep mopping from now to doomsday. And again, I say I wouldn't be part of a church that doesn't do that. But churches can't just do that. We need to remove the plug of injustice. Listen to me. We need to feed the poor. We need to teach people to budget. We need to fight addictions. We need to do all that. But the fact is this. People need Jesus. People need Jesus. The gospel is offensive. And every time we sell it short, every time we sell it short, we say three things to God. We say, your word isn't true, your motives are not good, and your provision is not enough. Every time we just go to mop, every time we just mop, 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 and we don't go to look at the source and deal with the injustice, we say, your word isn't true, your motives aren't good, and your justice isn't enough. And we just have to keep cleaning all the time because there's always work to do. And again, I say the devil will keep us busy. He'll make sure there's plenty of mopping to do. And it takes our eye off the goal. So Stevie, will you come? We're going to finish with a song. But as, we, as they come up, I, I want to say this to you. We have enough resources, I believe, in this church. And we have enough spirit within us, I believe, in this church to tear down the strongholds of the enemy. And we're not called to just mop. Yes, we will keep mopping, but we aren't called to be just a mopping church. We're called to be a praying church. We're called to be a fighting the devil church. We're called to be a waging war on the enemy and a systems church. We're called to see people redeemed from sin and from hell. That's our call. That's our call. We're called to see people set free. So I finish where I started. What we've heard from these men, what we've heard, could we... Could we take it and carry it out? Could we carry that six pattern from that, that verse in Luke? Could we carry that six-fold pattern just to preach to the poor, to set people at liberty, to say, I'm going to give, I'm 60, and I, I, I have a few more years left, and I want to give my life to this thing. I don't want to just, I just don't want to be mopping all the time. Saying, oh, my work's never done. More people, more problems. A great job only for the people. <laughs> so I don't, I'll, I'll mop up the mess with you. Don't you worry. I'll get in, I'll get the sleeves rolled up, and I'll mop up the mess. But I, I want to help you. 
I want to help you pull the plug and kick over the bucket. I want to help you pull the plug. And, and if you're in this room this morning and you've never got to the cross, if you've never got to the cross, you've never got to forgiveness. If you've never got to the cross, you've never got to the grace. Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit have made a promise that the only place of redemption is when a person meets them at the cross. And we've made the cross cool. And we wear it around our necks and we hang it on our walls. And, 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 and it's, it's become, a, it's become a, 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 a sort of a thing that we, we think is lovely. It was never lovely. The Bible says, cursed is anyone that hangs on a cross. It was a place of depravity. It was a place where the vilest sinners would die. It's the place that Jesus Christ took our place and became sin for us. The cross is a horrible place. A horrible place. That's why it's offensive. Because it challenges us about our sin. It makes us realize that the only way that we can be redeemed is through it. The only way that we can step into God's fullness is to step through the cross. It's a scandal and it's an offense. And every time I look at it, I say with Isaiah in 53, 2, there is no beauty in it that I would desire him. But what happened through it? Redeem me. Can redeem you. Can redeem a lost world. All we got to do is because without the cross, as I said, there's no salvation, there's no redemption, there's no forgiveness. And so my challenge to you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, my challenge is you to get your sleeves rolled up and get into your existing network, get into your family, get into your unreached people groups, wherever that might be. If it's going to Cambodia, if it's going to Castle Mews, wherever it is, or across your own street, wherever it is, use your voice tell people now I don't mean you should offend people the cross is offensive enough you, don't, you do it with grace you do it with love you do it with a, a, a posture of honor I'm telling you this because I love you I, I don't actually even know how to stop this so we'll stop but if you've never known Jesus Christ as your savior if you've never come to the cross then right now is your moment This is the acceptable day of the Lord. And you can step into favor with the kingdom and you can step into repentance of your sins and you can step into a whole new life that will take you on the roller coaster for the rest of your life and will take you to eternity with Christ in heaven. And if you don't have it, it's eternity absent from Christ in a place called hell. So the option aren't good. This is the only one. So let's stand and as we worship today, if this is your moment, then let's take it. All you got to do is say, God, I need you today. I need you to come into my life. I need you to be my Savior and my Lord. I repent of my sin. I stand before you realizing that the only way I can meet you is through the cross. And so God, I come to that place right now and I invite you into my life as my Savior and Lord in Jesus' name. You know what will happen? Man, he'll hit you like a ton of bricks. He'll hit you like a ton of bricks. And you'll pass, the Bible says, from death unto life. Death unto life. Darkness into light. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Let's worship and then we'll, we'll pray and close it all. Breathe on.
We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.